So um, the last three weeks we did something called Encounter because on the 7th of February, which is a Sunday evening, we're going to have our first Encounter night. The whole idea behind that is to give the opportunity for us all um, to come together, to worship for an extended period of time, to pray together, but also to call upon the power of the Holy Spirit in an evening where there won't be the chaos of kids work and kids running around, but just a space once a month on a, on a Sunday night, the first Sunday of the month, to just be in the presence of God, to spend extended time together. So we did three weeks just unpacking what that means. We looked at um, God with us, God in us, and God through us. And all that content will be online this week um, for you to go back and have a look at. But before that, before we start an encounter, which we're really excited about, and we hope that you can come on the 7th because we think it would be great, um, we were in Matthew, and the whole idea behind that is we're 15, 16 months in, is we really just wanted to get to grips with a gospel, get to grips with who Jesus is, the things that Jesus says, um, the things that he does. And so that's what we're going to do. We want to spend a bit of quality time exploring Matthew. So we've been doing that since October, and we're in Matthew 5. So we've not done too far. And what we're going to do now, the Beatitudes, is because actually, even though they're one line, as you'll see in Matthew 5 for each of the blessed statements, there's a lot to unpack in every single one. And they're all about our character. They're all about our hearts. What does it mean to live for God? What does it mean to follow after him today? And almost, what does it mean to be blessed? And we find out that today from the Beatitudes. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus on a mountainside, but he sits down. But it spans chapters 5 through 7. It's a lot of talking. It's a long sermon. So um, mine won't be anywhere near that kind of length. Um, but Matthew, I think, gives us a snapshot of what Jesus says on the mountainside. That, yes, there will be other bits and pieces, but this is what the, that uh, Matthew records as Jesus saying down. And he, he shares the Beatitudes, which is the Latin for blessings, that Jesus opens with blessed. That's how he opens his, ser- his sermon, if you like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. And then he follows it with eight, well, seven others. So there's traditionally eight Beatitudes. And I know if you're reading down, if you're being astute, you can read the word blessed nine times. But the whole idea is he doesn't really expand upon them. He just gives a statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? Thanks, Jesus. There's no, the kingdom of God means this. The poor in spirit means this. To be blessed means this. There's no explanation. And you'll see the same as you go through blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are, the merc- blessed are the merciful, they receive mercy. So well, what does that mean? They're just kind of almost one-liners that Jesus shares. But these one-liners are packed with meaning. So I just want to read the whole thing. We're not going to read Matthew 5, 1 through 10 or 1 through 11 every week. But I just thought as the first time that we're in Matthew 5, it was probably right to just read the whole passage. Just to give you an idea in its totality of what Jesus says. Because sometimes we can take one verse and just rip it out of context. But it's sometimes good to just hear the whole passage, isn't it? And see what he says. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And then on uh, verse 11, we get a bit of description, which is nice. Blessed are you who, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus is on the hillside. He's got crowds and crowds of people that have followed him. He takes a seat and he starts teaching about the state of our hearts. And the first words that come out of his mouth are these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as I read that, even as I read that a couple of weeks ago or however long it was and thought, I'm going to be preaching on this, I nodded along to myself. I went, oh, great, yeah, brilliant, Jesus. Um, And then actually after kind of reflecting for about 10 seconds, went, what does that mean? Because you just nod along sometimes and go, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? Well, who are the poor in spirit? What does it mean to be blessed? And all these questions just fired into my mind that so often we just read scripture and we can just read it and go, yeah, 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 I get that. But actually we don't get it at all. We don't get to what Jesus is actually trying to say. So I I just kind of thought it would be good to kind of look at the fact that we're going to be saying for the next however many weeks, whatever the sermon is, whoever is talking is going to start with the words blessed. That we actually understand what that means because we use it a bit willy-nilly, don't we? We use it all over the place, you know, bless you. Even in different, oh, bless you. I beat you at something, oh, bless you. That's okay. Or, you know, God bless, or every time we sneeze, we use it. Or somebody else uses it. Go, oh, thank you, that's so kind of you. Um, so just to actually understand what we're saying, we normally use it as a parting word or the bottom of an email. Um, or as I said, sneezing, which obviously came about with the plague that people thought, if they're sneezing, oh, they're going to need the blessing of God because they've obviously got the plague and they're going to die. So it, it quickly, that came in and has just stuck ever since. So um, that's why we say God bless when people sneeze. I think it was Pope Gregory um, that started that back in the day. Um, But, I mean, what do we think when we're saying God bless to someone? Have you actually thought about it? When you're saying God bless you, what are you actually saying? Because we just kind of do it absentmindedly, don't we? Do we actually contemplate what that looks like and what that actually means? Um, And I think often, for me, it's like almost this, oh, I, I hope things go well for you. God bless that you'd be happy or... Life would be good. But actually, when we read what Jesus says about what it means to be blessed, it's none of those things. So somewhere along the line, we've got our interpretation of what it means to be blessed as wrong. In some of your interpretations, it might not read blessed. It might read happy. Or even at the bottom of your Bible, if you've got a study Bible, it might say happy. I think it's a bad interpretation. So do lots of Great theologians with greater minds than I think that happy is a bad interpretation of what the word blessed means. Because happy is a subjective thing. I'm happy today, or I'm not happy tomorrow. Whereas what Jesus is saying here is objective. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's a fact. It's a statement. It's not subjective. It's not dependent upon our mood. The poor in spirit don't have to be happy or unhappy to be blessed. They have to be poor in spirit is what Jesus says. So happy just doesn't cut it, and I think is a bad translation for us. And I think if we just equate God bless or blessing of God with happiness, we minimize what God says and what God wants to do. Um, 
To be blessed, I believe, is to relate to God in a particular way. And we read eight ways here of relating to God in a particular way. You know, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit almost um, sets the foundation for the rest of the Beatitudes that come after it. Because I think you can be unhappy, but you can still be blessed. Which means we've got our terms wrong. Right? I can have, I, if, if blessing is in relation to God, I can have a, a relationship with God and be right with God, but having a bad day. Does that mean I'm not blessed? No. So our term's wrong. I mean, I've done this before, but the world equates happy as blessed. I mean, we've seen it. If you're on social media, it's, 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 it's there all the time. I got a new dog. I got a new dog? No. I got a new job. Hashtag blessed. Here's the keys to my new house. I'm blessed. My question is, is that actually blessing? Because what happens if you didn't get your new job? What happens if you haven't got a new home? Are you therefore cursed? Doesn't work, does it? In the eyes of the world, it might be blessing, but I would rather have what God means as blessing over my life and relate to God in that way than the way that the world relates, right? Or is that just me? Oh, you're looking blankly at me. Maybe you, maybe you like the world's way of doing it. But I think just saying, oh, I've got a new job, hashtag blessed, great. Is that blessing? I'm not too sure. It's a good thing. But if our measure of blessing is having stuff, then some of the richest, wealthiest, atheist, anti-God-hating people in the world are by our very definition blessed. Doesn't work, does it? Doesn't add up. Jesus can't mean those things. He can't mean getting a new job or getting a new house. Those things are cool. Those things are good. And they're not things that we should be unthankful for. But I think rather I'd use God's grace to us, God's kindness to us, instead of blessing in that term. Because I think we've got the wrong term there. And you could say, oh, I'm being a bit pedantic. But actually it's important. It's important in understanding, well, what does God say blessing is? If it's not that, what does he say it is? This is one way of reading the Beatitudes. To those who have nothing in themselves, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the comfort of heaven, the earth is inheritance, the satisfaction of God's provision, the mercy, the vision of God, the right to be called his children, and the greatest of all, you get a place with him. Now that's blessing. That's what Jesus says blessing is. Not having a new house or a new car or stuff. He says being with him, having an inheritance, having his comfort, having his provision, having his mercy, seeing him, being his children, and then being with him forever. It's all in relation to God, not in relation to our stuff. Acts 3.26 says this, God, having raised up his servant, that's Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you. How does he bless us? By turning every one of you from your wickedness. How does he bless us? Not in giving us stuff, but by in giving himself. Restoring what was broken here changing our hearts, making us whole. To be blessed, according to Jesus, is to know him, is to interact with him, to relate to him. And the good news of Jesus is that it's kind of countercultural to the way that we would look at it, to say, oh, blessed if I've got my own private island. I mean, that's a cool thing. I wouldn't be, you know, against having it. But it doesn't equate blessing. What a... You know, the poor here, it says the poor in spirit are blessed. It's not just the high flyer, not just the successful businessmen who are blessed. But actually, to the last, the least, 
the lost. That if we have the kingdom of God, if we have Jesus, though in the eyes of the world we might not have anything, we actually have everything in him and everything in the future. Now, I want to be clear just at the start here. I'm not um, being negative on, on having things. It's a good thing. I believe in the supernatural provision of God that there's a roof over our heads. That is God's grace. There is kindness there of God. Though we don't deserve it, it's there. And there is supernatural provision. And we should be thankful. It's just our terminology, I think, that we've got wrong. We should be thankful for all the things that God gives to us. But what I want to say is that the point I'm making is that our material good, our wealth, the things that we do have, a roof over our head, food on our table, that our physical good wouldn't dictate the terms of our relationship with God. Because I think that's what Jesus is driving at here as well. That the things that we have, oh, if we've got stuff, then then we're blessed and we're happy. But if we haven't and we're lacking, then what? So, yes, physical provision and, and the material good, great. But God's more concerned with our hearts than he is about the things that we have. And yet, we as people spend more time concerned with the things that we have instead of the state of our hearts. So, we have to kind of just reverse a little bit and backtrack. As last week was said uh, so well, I think, that some things seem to grab the attention of heaven. There are some things that seem to please God that he wants to just pour out his spirit upon. And I think that's an insight into someone whose heart is pure before God, someone whose heart is good before him, someone who is poor in spirit. What brings the blessing of God? What brings his presence? What brings that life? What brings that relationship? Well, the first thing that he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what he says first. That's the top of the order. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The message translation, which I don't use as my kind of go-to, but it's good because sometimes it can, you know, it's good to have multiple different translations of the Bible, isn't it? But it's also good sometimes to read something and just, that's how the man on the street would say it. And I just like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more, there is more room for God and for God's rule. That puts it quite nicely, really. Um, you're blessed when you have nothing in yourself. When there's less of you, there's more of God, that's good. That's a blessing to you, but it's also a blessing to other people because they see the God within you. In other words, when we realize our spiritual bankruptcy, when we realize the state of our hearts, who we are as humankind, and we, the illusion that we've got it all together in our British way and that everything is fantastic, when we realize before God that actually we have nothing it's then that there is blessing in that. It's then that we realize we have nothing to give here, but God's given everything for us. When we realize it's not actually about us, but it's about God, then there's blessing in that for those people. It pleases God. How often do you hear this narrative? I mean, I think it's true of my life that, you know, in those difficult moments in your life, moments where you are in a struggle for whatever reason, that you in those times felt closer to God. Right? Is that just me? That your walk with God somehow was improved or better. I felt closer than ever. I knew him more in my pain, in my valley experience. But now life's good. You know, I'm not in the valley right now, so 
maybe my walk with God reflects that. It's about our desperation. It's about our hearts. You know, when we're in that valley, when we're in a difficult place, and we have nowhere else to turn, we turn to God, don't we? But when everything's okay, what do we do? We just crack on as normal. Life's great. I don't need you, God. I'm self-sufficient. Everything's great. Life's happening as it should do. It comes down to what we treasure. And Jesus, in summary, is saying, blessed are those who realize their state and treasure me. Blessed are those who come to me, who want me, who are desperate for me and my presence. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, great verses. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Often our lives don't reflect the truth of that verse, do they? That there's this treasure in jars of clay, broken, fragile. Not much to look at in my case, or in many of you too. You know, sometimes I just think, why am I saying this? But it's already left my mouth. That's not appearing on the stream. Um, but tr our treasure, how often we want this treasure that's within us. We want the treasure to be the outside, don't we? We want what people see to be the treasure. What people see to be our value. Oh, look at him. He's an incredible sportsman. He's a great athlete. Or look at the brain on that fella. That's what we want to be known for. Our achievements, what we do, what we look like, what of us think of us. And uh, th that becomes our treasure. We dress ourselves up like we're shining diamonds, not jars of clay. Whereas God says, no, the treasure is within you. The treasure is knowing Jesus. And actually, sometimes when we dress it up that it's not that, what happens? We get in the way. We're not poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit would to recognize and to be humble and say, well, this is who I am. I'm content in that and the most valuable thing in my life isn't me, isn't my achievements, but it's the God who knows and loves me. Those who treasure Jesus, those who treasure God, not anything else, they're the poor in spirit. So I just got thinking practically, well, what does that look like for us today? If we're dressing ourselves up as something else, how then can we be poor in spirit? Because God says there's blessing in that. It's a way of relating to God. So if that's true, that's something worth pursuing, right? That's got to be something that we've got to say yes. This is something that, as we go through the Beatitudes, that we want to say yes. I want to actually be blessed. I want to relate to God. I want to know him in a deeper way. And the first one, which is poor in spirit. And, well, how does that happen, I suppose? Well... On a practical level, I think it's being willing to be emptied of the wealth of the world, whether we're poor or rich, that we won't complain about our lot. So often we complain about our lot, don't we? You might even, you might be sat there next to the person next to you going, well, I've got nicer shoes than that person. Or We do this little thing where we just compete in our minds, at least I do sometimes. I'm going, oh, great, well, I've got this now, or I've got that, or, oh, our next door neighbors have got new guttering. I know what that means. I need some new and better gutters with a man on the roof constantly getting rid of the leaves. You know, we've always got to kind of go one better. That's what we do, and that's what, how we interpret life. We center on ourselves. I want this career. I want this. I want to visit this country on holiday, and my life will not be fulfilled until I have been there. We get it wrong. And so far in 2016, this is the biggest thing that God's been teaching me and talking to me is this. 
We interpret life so often in how can I get the most out of it for me? Whereas I think the gospel says, how can I use the things that God has given me to expand the lives of others? How can I add value to other people? How can I point towards Jesus by expanding their lives instead of expanding mine? How can I honor God, not honor myself? Because otherwise, we're just here to, you know, make a bit of money or, you know, what about our gap year if we have gap years? So often it's, so I can broaden my horizons, so I can do great things. What if it was, so I can expand the lives of others? So that I can use everything that I am to show people the eternal worth of Jesus Christ. But that is true for our work as well, isn't it? I'm doing this because great that it's a byproduct that you enjoy it and you love it. But how about it's a, it's a way of glorifying God? How about it's a way of adding value to other people? A way of blessing others that they might see something in relating to God. Not that they'd be happy but it might be an opportunity for them to relate to the God who you serve. Part of being poor in spirit is to cheerfully bear our losses, to bear our disappointments in our prosperous state, to expand God's kingdom, not expand our bank balance. Because often we're interested in expanding our bank balance, right? What if we were interested in expanding the kingdom of God instead? If we were interested in being uh, salt and light and God's people in our town, Instead of, what can I get out of my town? What can I give back? What would change? I think, we, I think we'd see amazing things. To live to expand the kingdom, not our own kingdom. To give away, to not hoard. To not point to our false treasure over here of the things that we have, our health, our exercise, our money, our careers, and point to the real treasure in our hearts. Some stuff gets in the way and blocks, doesn't it? Some things cause obstacles to people seeing the treasure that's within us. You know, my mate's in East Africa in Tanzania. Happy, he is a happy bloke, but he's called Happy, what a great name. Arthur and Gibson et al. They have nothing. I was talking the other week with Andy and saying they have ill-fitting suits that they've just cobbled together from anywhere because the culture is that if they're in the ministry, they need to have a suit. I don't know how much it cost them or what they had to do to get there, but they have their ill-fitting suits. And you go to their homes and... Compared to us in the West, they have nothing. But I tell you, they have a joy. They have a treasure that far exceeds my own than anything I've ever seen, actually, in people. Their love for Jesus. Why? Well, because I think the blessed are the poor in spirit. Because they're relating to God uh, first and foremost. They haven't got all this other stuff in the way that means they radiate the joy and the love of Jesus. You can just see it written upon their faces. Job is an amazing example in scripture. Really wealthy man, but God allows it all to be taken away from him. If that happened to you, what would you do? We would moan and we would moan and we would moan. What does Job do? Job? What does Job do? He blesses God. He's thankful. In the giving and in the taking away, he praises the name of the Lord. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. That whatever else in this life we have, whether we have it good, we have it bad, it's taken away, it's given to us, we would still bless the name of the Lord. We would still praise him that our circumstance would not dictate our relationship with him. 
Job is a great example of what it means to be poor in spirit. The application is uh, not that you should leave this place and go and live like a hermit. As some of you might even be thinking in your minds going, well, he wants me to go and do this and go and live in the forest and make my little base and, you know, make fire. If you want to do that, fine. That's not what the Bible says that we're to do. But it does mean that if we're hungry for God's blessing, if we're hungry for more of God, then we shouldn't shun the poor, that we should be willing to associate with them. And more than that, we should get our spiritual pride, our, our stuff out of the way. I saw this uh, just wound me up a lot. But a group of Christians on social media talking about all the gifts that they have and the gifts that they wish they had in this kind of ego massage competition about who was the most gifted. And I just thought, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that actually have Christ first and foremost. What's our greatest gift? Is it my footballing ability? Is it my race driving ability? Is it my, I'm, I'm stuck. Is it any other things that I might do well? Or is it that I have Christ in my life? Is it that I know God first and foremost? That's got to be the greatest gift, hasn't it? That's got to be what our life centers in and around and everything pours back into. Instead of, oh, these are the gifts I want and I don't have and I'm moaning my lot is. Well, what I do have, I'm going to use to be generous. We need humble, generous, empty Christians. The Greek term in this passage um, for the word poor literally means destitute. It means nothing. Jesus doesn't mean here when he says blessed are the poor. He doesn't mean like I'm poor this month because I can't afford my sky bill. Poor. That is not poor. It's a luxury item. What he means is destitute. What he actually means, one, one way of interpreting that is to lead the life of a beggar. That's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that almost, in one sense, lead a life of a beggar, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So now in your mind, if you're picturing a beggar, that kind of spirit of nothingness, of desperation, of dependency, is what God wants from his children. He wants us dependent upon him. He wants us desperate for him. He wants us crying out for him. Because actually, he is all we need in this earth. We don't need anything else. You think about a beggar. They're completely dependent, aren't they? Upon someone else giving to them. That's the imagery. Blessed are those who are completely dependent upon me. Who aren't dependent upon their bank balance. Who aren't dependent upon what car they drive or what house they live in for their satisfaction and their meaning and their purpose in life. Or what job they have or what job they don't have. But rather their satisfaction, their all, their worth, everything is found in him. So often we paint this narrative, don't we? That I need to be strong. I need to be strong. God doesn't want us to be strong. He wants to display his strength in us. Because our strength just gets in the way. Our perceived strength, at least. It's okay to say I'm not okay, therefore. I know we're really good at wearing masks, aren't we? We're, we're beggars. At least we should be. Can you imagine? I just want you to picture this. If you're in Chesterfield and there's a beggar and he's got his little begging bowl or he's got his, I don't know, sack. 
whatever, is mad, and it's overflowing with cash, and you walk past, what would you do? It's not a rhetorical question. It's a genuine question. Would you give? No, you're less likely to, aren't you, I think. If, if this beggar actually looks minted, it's like, oh, he's done pretty well today. I'm all right, I'll go and get my cheeseburger. I'll get my 99p, I'm fine. If his, if his mat is full of money, and like 50 notes are there and everything, you're like, okay, he's all right. He's sufficient. He's made it, he's okay. We're less likely to give coin to them in, in that kind of why, because actually they don't look that desperate at all. He looks okay. He looks sufficient. Well, what if hypothetically, if Jesus says, blessed are those who poor in spirit, not those who have lots of stuff. What if, you know, God looks down and all he wants is our hearts and he sees us with our trust in our job and our wealth and our stuff. Is it not like the beggar whose mat is completely full? Don't need you, God. I'm not that desperate for your presence. And we miss out on relating to him because of our self-sufficiency. All God wants is our hearts. So God wants us empty so that he can fill us up, so that we can be sent out, so that we can add value to his kingdom, so that we can expand his kingdom. Less of ours and more of his. Can you imagine that? That's where the treasure is. That's where the blessing is. And just one final thought, just as a a practical thing for you to think about and a practical way of doing this. And it's a lesson I'm learning steeply too and a lesson that actually even happened to me on Friday um, that I'm going to get to in a second. But I just want to quote this first. And I'm not a massive Charles Darwin fan. I'm not going to, this is probably the first and last time I'll ever quote him. But he gets this right, at least. The instinct of each species is good for itself, but has never, as far as we can judge, been produced for the good of others. That's what seems to be our life, right, in a nutshell. Humanity in a nutshell there. That we exist for the good of ourselves and not for the good of others. But to be poor in spirit would mean, actually, it doesn't fit with how we presently are. Yesterday, or no, Friday, I felt God speak to me on this, which is why I say I'm learning this steeply. Um, that I was asked to give some money for something. And, it, you know, it wasn't an emergency, but it was asked to give money for something. And I tell you, my initial reaction was I have no money, which, of course, is relative, because, of course, I do have money compared to other people. But that was my initial reaction. Well, I, I don't have any money. Why should I have to do that? And eventually after a little argument with myself, I said, that's fine. But I sought to justify it in some way, shape, or form. But the initial reaction there is the problem. The initial reaction there is not someone who's poor in spirit, but someone who's rich in the world. That when we're asked to do something or to give generously, our first one was, I haven't got nothing, why should I give to somebody else? That's not someone who's poor in spirit, is it? So that's something for us to just think about, that maybe there are things in our lives that we're too attached to. When that happens, we know we're too attached to something. Oh, it's my car. Why would I give that to someone? This is my house. It's their fault they got themselves into this situation. Why should I help them? We're not poor in spirit then, are we? We're just rich in the eyes of the world, too attached to the things that we have. Whatever that thing is that we're not prepared to give away, it's a problem. It's too precious to us. It's become our treasure. 
there's anything that we're not willing to part with for the glory of God, then we're missing out on being blessed, aren't we? We're missing out on relating to him in a, a fuller way. Jesus says the blessing is being poor in spirit. And I think that means that we've got to be willing to be empty of all the things that get in the way. All the things that cause us to stumble and block that. That we might have true blessing of actually having God himself. Not the gifts, but the giver. That we might be filled with God the Holy Spirit. That we might walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So ask yourself this as we pray now. What do you obsess on? What do you go to bed dreaming about? Is it your Volkswagen Camper T1? What's for me? So I bought a Lego one. Dealt with now. Don't need one. I've got a Lego one. I've just got to make it. What's in the way? Stress, anxiety, wealth. Even our dreams can be things that point to a treasure that is elsewhere. I mean, we miss out on all that God has for us. So I want us, church, to have God dreams of saying, God, how can I be used to further your kingdom? How can I make my life count? How can I expand the lives of others and be a blessing just as you're a blessing to me? How can I introduce people, therefore, to the one that I know and love? That we'd recognize our brokenness, but that actually we have a promise here that God restores. And we'll see this every week as God goes through these different ways that Jesus says blessed are those who mourn those that are mourning and struggling you'd be blessed because if you know God you'll know the comfort of God you'll know the peace of God so I want us to be people that live our lives to glorify God expand the lives of others and to do that we've got we've got to first and foremost confess our spiritual bankruptcy confess our desperate need of God and nothing else and then the challenge is You've got to live like it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Fact. Not subjective. Fact.